It's not uncommon in everyone's life at some point to ask, what is wrong with me? If you have adolescent children, you oftentimes may ask yourself, what's wrong with he or she? Why do they act the way they do? It's very common, in fact, for me as a pastoral counselor to have people come to my office and, and ask, what's, what's wrong with me? Why, why is it that I can't form and maintain healthy relationships? Why do I have such relational conflict? Why do I have such relational chaos and pain? And why do I have such a hard time staying free from all the many forms of addiction? one or the many of them. Well, I want to introduce you today to a new series called The Human Trilemma. Not the dilemma, but the human trilemma. We all understand that there is such a thing as a mental health issue in the United States, and of course, universally throughout humanity. And mental health issues do bleed over into our ability to form healthy relationships. And healthy relationships um, are essential for our well-being, our sense of of, um, being able to um, be functional human beings, to to flourish. But when we don't have the mental ability, when we're suffering some kind of mental defect, it, it bleeds over into our relationships. And so... That is how the world looks at it. What the real problem is, is a mental problem. And to some degree, that's true. But when I say the trilemma, what I'm saying as a pastoral counselor, and what the difference is that separates me in my care model than an average therapist, is that I'm looking at the primacy being in the spiritual realm. In other words, the trilemma of the human issue is spiritual, then mental, and then relational, with spiritual issues being in the primacy. Now, these three things are distinct, but they're inseparable. So we look at the spiritual condition, the mental condition, and as it relates to the consequence or the symptomatics that occur within our relationships. So our relationship problems more often than not, are consequences or they're symptomatic of our mental health issues. Our mental health issues are symptomatic of our spiritual issues. So, when we ask the question, what's wrong with people? I mean, it's pretty clear. If if you're awake, you're aware, you're looking around you, and you see, yes, there is definitely something wrong. Who can watch the evening news and not know that humanity is severely in trouble. If this is the original design, it's a bad joke. Well, I'm here to tell you, it is not the original design. God created man in his image. God created man to walk upright and holy and perfect, in fact, in his sight. God created man to be the perfect image of himself in his character, in his holiness, in his goodness, in his love, into creation. The fact that sin has turned us in on ourselves is the problem. So, in the coming days and weeks, we're going to be looking closer at this trilemma. This trilemma of spiritual issues, of spiritual condition, which 
bleeds over into our mental condition and then produces relational consequences. Now, this is very common in the apostolic order. For instance, when Peter was writing his letters or Paul was writing his letters or James, there's always this um, reference to how we are to take who we are now in Christ and have it work out into our daily life. Have it work out into our families and our ability to relate as husbands and wives or as single people to other family members and to friends and and to the overall um, community. So, the gospel is that which not only saves us from our sins, it saves us from what we do. The atonement not only saves us and forgives us for what we do, it also provides a redemption, and please hear me now, from what we are. Both of those things have to be in place if we're going to understand the gospel. Not only forgiveness or atonement for what we've done, but redemption for what we are. Now let's spend a few minutes just looking at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. There we read this, quote, And you were dead in your trespasses, excuse me, your transgressions and sins. Trespasses is another translation. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. End quote. Those three verses are so precious because they give us the only true diagnosis that is available to you today. You can go to a psychiatrist and get some idea, some diagnosis based upon your symptoms, as you can any MD or naturopath. You can go to a a therapist and get some idea based upon the diagnostic statistic manual as to what might be troubling you. But nowhere and anywhere will any of that you find the, the real taproot of the problem. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, we have the taproot of the problem. So let's take another brief look at that. First of all, it says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. We all are coming to this life. We are all born into this life, of course, as babies, as infants, dead in transgressions and sins. This is the problem. While we look cute and we may lay in the crib and gather all kind of accolades and enjoy and our parents love to look at us and they look and children as they say as they grow say the darndest things and so we may be cute and fun to have around and they are of course I'm a father I'm a grandfather but the only difference between that baby and an adult is that the baby has yet to become an adult sinner. In other words, this is a nat- this is a, an issue of nature. This is a nature problem. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
Sin is deadly. It destroys us spiritually. So we weren't just like our liberal friends say. They 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 say that we we are not really dead or we're not really sinners. We're just we're we're all God's kids and we have the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And and really if we understand it right, if we understand Christianity right, we really just need to find a way to really value who we are as created people. And there's truth in that. But it doesn't take into account the nature of our fallenness. We were dead in trespasses and trespasses and sins, transgressions and sins. In other words, my liberal friends will say that we are well. We're really just okay. Everything's really fine. We just have, and the gospel that they preach is that God loves you and everything's fine. And you just have to think higher of yourself and uh, be kinder to others and everything will be fine. The brotherhood of man. That we are by nature well. We just have to remember that. We just have to realize how well off and good we really are. We have forgotten our goodness. Well, that sounds really lovely, but it's not what the Bible teaches. Now, some evangelicals, many evangelicals, will teach that we are not well, but we are sick. That sin has made us sick. That there's a problem. Uh, although we are not so sick, that we can't still freely choose Jesus, that we can choose to become a Christian based upon our own free will and resources, we're just sick spiritually. But that's not what the Bible teaches either. The Bible teaches we were dead. So we're not well, and we're not just sick. We're dead. Dead in transgressions and sins. Now he's speaking here in the past tense because he's speaking to Christians. So even you all who are in Christ, this was your story. This is from what you're being redeemed. And if you're not in Christ, if you're an unbeliever, this is still your story. And it's a universal story. It's not a matter that some people are really bad off and others are less so. We're all bad off. We're all dead in transgressions and sins. It's a universal condition with universal patterns. So he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked. In other words, it's a way of life. It just came natural to us. We didn't have to work at being sinners. We didn't have to um, work at doing evil things. We did work at coming up with schemes and devised ways of acting out evil. Some of us were downright ingenious at it. But it was natural to us. Nobody has to teach a child to be rebellious. Nobody has to teach a child to demand what they want when they want it. Nobody has to teach a child to express rage, anger. It comes naturally. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. The world used to dictate our ways of living. 
the world, if you're, in, you're not in Christ, is still following, you're still following the dictates of the way the world thinks. Think of that. The world has a course for you. You're on a path. The course of this world. And it leads to utter, eternal destruction. Why? Because it is according to the ruler of the power of the air. That is, Satan himself. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now remember, this is a universal condition. From the very beginning, like begets like. If you're human, this is the condition into which you are born. It's very natural for you to do this, to walk in the course of the world and to be led, whether you're conscious of it or not, by the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, this is an important phrase, too, because sons of disobedience in the first century, when this was written, would have clearly been understood to mean inheritance. A son inheritance the father's estate. And to be a son of disobedience, to be anyone's son, is not so much a gender issue as much as it's a legal status. Meaning that you are heir. You are an heir. And what you are heir primarily of is the father's nature. As children of disobedience, we are the heirs of disobedience. We have a nature that we share with our father, Satan, the devil. Now, this is astonishing. It's, it's shocking. It's, it's, it's theology that would hardly ever be mentioned in the most polite halls of some churches these days. But you know, Jesus told a very religious group of Jewish people who had even professed faith in him at one point, that by nature they were children of the devil. Your father is the devil, he told them in John chapter 8. And, the, and he was a liar from the beginning, and his, his desires you desire to do. You desire what he desires. Even though these people were protesting, hey, we are children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. See, they weren't conscious of their condition and by his mercy his compassion and his great love Jesus engaged these people and was attempting to help them see their condition as slaves to sin and pointing to himself as the only one who could set them free but they were having none of it The conversation escalated, as you can read in John chapter 8, so that by verse 59, they're picking up stones and trying to kill him. Proving his case, by the way. So these are profound things. We're not just good people doing some bad things from time to time. No, we are sons of disobedience. But apart from Christ, that's all we are. 
walking according to the rule of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, again, he's emphasizing the universal condition, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. See, it's by nature, it's how we think, and it's how we behave. It's our conduct. We're all driven into conduct. Our conduct is always driven by something. Either we're being led of the Spirit, or we're being led of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. But we're all spiritual. See, it's not just enough to say, well, I'm spiritual. Well, okay, what spirit is driving you? What spirit is moving you to act? And you can measure that by your conduct. That's why Jesus told, told us in Matthew chapter 7, you'll know them by their what? Their fruits. Paul said that there are those who, who confess him, confess Christ, but deny him by their works. You know what spirit you're operating under, whether you're an unbeliever operating in the spirit of, the, of disobedience or you're operating as a child of God under this Holy Spirit. Your, your conduct is what determines your spiritual influence, your spiritual heritage. In the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. See, there's the root of mental health issues. The mind is a wonderful thing, as the old saying goes. But when it's informed by the spirit of this world, according to the rule of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, when it is ruled by the desires of the flesh, the mind becomes an extremely dangerous thing to ourselves and those around us. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be renewed. And we're by nature children of wrath even as the rest. In other words, Paul is saying that there isn't some good, holy people and then there's some really rotten people. We all began out really rotten. Now, that wasn't by, de by design. That wasn't by creation. This is not God's fault. God did not create man to be in this fallen state. He created humanity to be upright, to walk and reflect and share in his holiness, his goodness, his love, to present God's perfect character and image into creation. In fact, it is the heights of our created original status that is one measure of our fallenness. Oh, how we have fallen. So that's the trilemma. The issue is not just that we have mental disorders. The problem is we have this spiritual condition. And no, no psychiatrist is going to address that. No licensed mental health therapist is likely to address that. Some good Christian licensed mental health therapist, and there are those, 
may bring that up. They may bring it up as a topic. But are they skilled and trained to help you walk through that? This is why I say the very best role for a pastor or a spiritual director or a Christian leader is to be a mental health professional. I mean, they are the mental health professionals. You don't have to be licensed by the state. Pastors are the true mental health professionals. If they do their job, if they walk in accordance with their calling, we know tragically that that's rare these days. But nonetheless, in the coming days and weeks, we're going to tackle this. We're going to look closer at these three points, which are distinct, but are inseparable. So what I've told you today is that your mental health and your relational conflicts, your mental health and your relational pain, are symptomatic of a taproot, a spiritual taproot, that is defined in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. I encourage you to read that. Read it over several times. Pray about it. Meditate on it. And then we'll begin this series uh, entitled The Human Trilemma. The Spiritual, Mental, and Relational Trilemma of the Human Condition. And we'll also look into celebrating the atoning, redeeming work of Jesus Christ. In his continuing work as our high priest, who ever lives to make intercession for us, and the indwelling power and ministry of the Holy Spirit, who uses the Word of God, the Scripture, to renew our minds, to replace a stony heart with a heart of flesh. By the miracle of regeneration, we've been given a new nature so that we are no longer children of wrath by nature, but children of God by nature. This is why John says in John, 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. In the old authorized version. It's beautiful. John was not just speaking of the, the fatherhood of God and the son, brotherhood of, of uh, man. He was saying something has happened significant here. We are not what we used to be. We have been brought into union with Jesus Christ. And therefore we are true children of God by nature. And we'll learn in this series how then we can be assured that that is us. And we'll learn also how to work that out into our lives. So that our mental health can grow. And our relationships. You'll notice that every one of the um, apostles wrote letters that set forth the gospel, set forth what is true about the gospel, and then often went on to talk about how that affects the marital relationships, the home, the family, the children, relationships with employers, relationships with people in the community. In other words, the gospel transforms us spiritually, mentally, and 
relationally. So there is hope. I hope you join me for the human trilemma as we look further into these things and come to celebrate and rejoice and break out in doxology even as we learn the glorious redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.